Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert to buy now. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up? This your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. A production of iHeartRadio. Hello, welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. My name is Noel. They call me Ben. We're joined, as always, with our super producer, Alexis codenamed Doc Holiday Jackson. Most importantly, you are you, you are here, and that makes this stuff they don't want you to know. This is our first listener mail segment of 2021, or the first we're recording in 2021, and uh, we have a, a cavalcade of strange stories and fascinating feedback from the best part of the show, your fellow listeners. Before we begin, guys, I know I told you about this off air, uh, but for years, and I mean years since I started at this job as an intern, uh, How Stuff Works and iHeart now have, have been kind of in a, a low-level prank war. Sometimes we'll come in and Things will just be a little weird. One time we smuggled, uh, I think we used this example on the show before, so it's okay to say it. One time we smuggled a very large Elvis impersonator in to prank our boss. We did a ghost, like, remote control-operated whoopee cushion back in the day. And 
Today, I snuck into the office to get some coffee, and I was drinking out of this cup, or I was about to, when my paranoia paid off, and I looked at the bottom to see someone had popped. How would you describe that? Was it look like a six, maybe a nine? Yeah, it depends on which way you hold it, but it's like they did it with like the the pointy end of a compass or something, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Huh. Ben. Some stabby implement of some kind. Very precise work. I got to give them props. True. Everyone listening, you have to know that most of these things happen to Ben for some reason. So that's I, not I, true. No, yeah, everybody yeah, yeah. gets oh, it. Yeah. Everybody gets it. <laughs> Noel got a weird, uh, got a weird stalkery parrot thing. Yeah, recently. we have these little like squishy ball things for stress, and they're shaped like the iHeartRadio parrot, which is apparently our mascot, which I wasn't aware of. But they're just littered all over the office, and someone collected a whole bunch of them and lined them up next to each other and snipped off their little parrot faces and lined those up in front of their little parrot bodies. And I don't know if you guys know this about me, but not a fan of birds. So it felt very threatening. It was sort of like a horse head in the bed kind of situation. Mm. No, dude, they were whoever this was i'm sure they they love you very much and they were trying to show you that the birds were neutralized and <laughs> like a cat to, like a cat <laughs> uh they're teaching you to hunt sponge stress birds uh but you know you found out who that was right that investigation was, was successful uh yeah but yeah. they like they they denied it vehemently for a time uh, and then finally came clean and that had a happy ending so on the off chance any of our co-workers Listen to the show, and on the off chance, whomever is responsible for this uh, is listening to the show, then all I have to say is, nice one, close call, you almost got me, but you're talking about one of the most paranoid people in our network. Uh, I did, Matt, I want to be honest, I did suspect you at first, like from the jump. Oh, you did? Well, I mean, I generally am not the kind of person that would do that, uh-huh. so, so, you know. Yeah. Okay. That's you're generally not, but what about specifically? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, we, okay. We digress. We digress, but it was heartwarming, you know, cause I think a lot of us uh, had a tough time over the holidays, not being able to be with the people that we usually see uh, toward the end of the year. Uh, we, we typically get together at least once as a group at our local dive bar or someplace, and we just grab a couple drinks and, and wax on about the world and the state of things. Uh, so, yeah, this, these pranks were nice, but I'm, I'm going to find who it was. I have a strong suspicion based on an off-air lead. Well, <laughs> so, <laughs> I wish you the best of luck. Thank you. Thank you. And likewise. Uh, so today we want to share some amazing stories from your fellow listeners. We have some stuff at the very forefront of medicine, or depending on who you ask, very ancient medicinal practices. Uh, we have some stuff about uh, very big brother level surveillance. Uh, and then we have a story that may not be, I'm just going to be honest with you folks, may not be suitable for all listeners uh, taking place in the United Nations. So where do you think we go first, guys? What, what do you think? Hmm. Why don't we begin at all the stuff that we do on the internet and uh, who's been looking at it since the turn of the millennium? Because, you know, we are two decades now in. We're in the third decade already. How weird is that? Ugh. Mm-hmm. We're in the third decade of the 2000s. Okay. That's fine. Woo. Wait, wait, hey. really quickly though. So yeah. we're not in the aughts anymore, right? Or wait, no, are, no. What are we in now? What do we call it? The teens, maybe. 
The, I, don't, I don't think it's no, been coined nope. yet. No. Wait, we can't call it the teens because that was like 2018, 2019. That's right. it's, it's, we're in the 20s. This is the new 20s. We're in the oh, roaring, the 20s. roaring 20s. Yeah. Get, get me a flapper dress and feed me some moonshine. That's what and, I say. Uh, looking at the parallels of yeah, the 1918 no, no. pandemic <laughs> and the roaring 1920s, uh, let's say you have, you have about eight or nine years to prepare for whatever the version of the 30s are. Uh, students of history, you will uh, you will doubtlessly appreciate that gloom and doom. Uh, uh, I don't know. Shout out to human yeah. tragedy and its cyclical nature. Yeah, and in that spirit, let's look back at the turn of the millennium and just uh, get a quick story from someone who called in. Oh, did that beep? Okay. Um, so uh, my brother was kind of abducted, sort of, by the CIA in the early 2000s um, because he was too good at computers. And so he was getting international recognition. They picked him up. They said, hey, you have to come with us. Otherwise, we're going to put you in detention because you'd be a national security risk. And they put him into a fold. Uh, working on the TIA program, Total Information Awareness. I'm curious as to whether or not you guys have done uh, episodes on TIA before and what happened to it after it was supposedly disbanded by Congress. The entire time my brother was working for the CIA, he could not talk to anyone, including family or his wife or his children, about what he was doing. And then when Congress disbanded it, he was able to talk to people. I'm wondering what happened after that. Um, He was taken out of this program and put in a different cell where he was still doing the same information and programming that he was before that. But it was given different names, and they didn't have access to any of the other cells. So I assume it just, like, presumed to go on under different nomenclature. I assume that the government's watchful eye over our doings on the Internet is long and deep, like, to a degree that we will never be able to comprehend as as ordinary Joe Schmo Lehman. Oh, sh- probably should have made this call. Okay. Bye bye. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. I mean, wow. but uh, hey, hey, it's cool. Everybody uses incognito mode on your Chrome browser. Yeah, that's yeah fine. That, that totally works, right? <laughs> yeah. Comcast, ATT, everybody, we're all good. Your internet service provider is not looking at that stuff. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah. So, my goodness. First of all, thank you for calling us with that that story. Um, mm. It's it's incredible that this saga touched so close to home for you with your brother and his involvement in this program that you mentioned, Total Information Awareness. Mm. Now, I cut out a couple pieces of your voicemail just so you know and so you guys know that I did that um, for clarity. Mm. And one of the things... Uh, that our caller was asking was whether or not we've covered anything like this before in the past. And we most certainly have discussed uh, both the NSA and their activities. We've discussed PRISM before and a couple other information awareness programs that are both aimed externally to the United States by the United States, 
as well as programs that are in other countries that are aimed at the United States, including Stellar Wind and a couple other things we've talked about. But I figure this is a great opportunity to really break some some of that stuff down and to start back at the total information awareness program that was going to be in effect. There were there were attempts to put this program into effect, and it did begin, in fact, functioning. But a name changed, as our caller <laughs> mentions there, and you know the situation changed, just like uh, what his brother experienced, where he was working inside a black box somewhere on this thing that they called total information awareness. Then they changed the name. Then he moved somewhere else, essentially doing the same work. So I'm going to jump to an article from the ACLU called uh, Q and a on the Pentagon's total information awareness program. I love this one. Yeah, this is a good one. Yeah, it's, it's really good. And I'm going to read some of this verbatim. Some of it you can go and check out on your own if you wish. But if you know, you're being asked what it is, this is how the ACLU would describe it. It's the closest thing to a true big brother program that's ever been seriously contemplated within the United States. First of all, that's saying something. And yikes, alarm bells, right? Um, It's what it will do or what it was planning on doing was pulling together as many different things and as many different sources of online information that people generate every day into a huge database. So bank transactions, things that you buy at your store, your credit card transactions, uh, where you go, what you search online, all kinds of things like that. It's going to put all of that into a big database and then attempt to, to then go through and look through all of that data to find terrorist activity. I'm doing air quotes here mm-hmm. um, to identify possible terror, terrorism leanings. These are all terrible ways to put it. But the the whole point is to combine public and private information to see who you are and what you do and pick out the bad guys amongst us. Now, it was begun by DARPA, uh, a group that we talked about a lot, the Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency. And um, there's a guy named John Poindexter who was, I think he was a national security advisor at the time. I can't remember if he was the the National Security Advisor at the time or back during uh, Ronald Reagan's presidency, but I know he was at one point because he was involved in, you remember the Iran-Contra scandal? You ever heard of that? We've talked about it on this show. He was a big part of that. Uh, and according to the ACLU and history, he stated at that time during the Iran-Contra scandal that it was his duty to withhold information from Congress, you know, for their protection, for America's mm-hmm. protection. For national security reasons. <laughs> he literally called total information awareness a, quote, Manhattan project for counterterrorism. So in his mind, the secrecy is part of it. Well, think about it. On paper, theoretically, gathering all that online information could, could very, very well find people who are leaning towards, you know, doing something wrong, maybe. It could. Mm. Mm-hmm. But but it also means that everybody else gets caught up in the dragnet. And then one one agency or multiple agencies who are sharing the information have access to everybody. They've got literally a profile like a like a school uh what is it the school uh, record that you are always the permanent record. record. The yeah. permanent record. Everybody's got one and it, you know mm-hmm. it used to be only the worst the worst people had their FBI dossiers or whatever, or a file on them. Or at least jacket. 
it's called. Exactly. Thank you. Um, But, you know, now through this program in the early 2000s, every every American citizen would have one. Um, Mm. And this thing, (laughs) this thing was put or this was put into a bill. I believe it was the Homeland, not the Homeland Security Act. uh, Yeah, it was the Homeland Security Act that this the TIA was put into. And eventually it was taken out because there was so much you know, negative response towards this. Obviously, if you're a thinking person, this feels like an overstep an overreach. Mm. Um, and as our caller said, didn't necessarily go away. It kind of changed names as, as new um, security acts went through Congress and through the white house, this kind of gathering of information continued And then we found out through Edward Snowden and several other whistleblowers that this thing was very much alive, you know, 2007, 2008 and onwards. Yeah, it's a it's a dragnet that never ends and it has no um, it has no constraints in terms of length of time of observation. Right. There's no there's nothing in there that says we can only watch people from nine to five Monday through Friday. I got to give you guys props for using the word dragnet. I don't hear that used in uh, regular conversation very much. It's a great word. Well, yeah. I'm, Kudos to for bringing it back. Well, it's a great visual, right? It is. If it you is. imagine that you're fishing, that's literally what this is. You yeah. just, everything gets picked everything. up. Yeah. <laughs> like dragging the lake, you know, looking mm-hmm. for a body. Uh, and I'm, I'm going to read really quickly to you guys from a New York Times opinion piece written by William Sapphire, maybe S.A. or Safiri, uh, S.A.F.I.R.E. It's from November 14th, 2002. And this is what uh, what he stated. If the Homeland Security Act is not amended before passage, that this is when the TIA was in there. Here's what will happen to you. Every purchase you make with a credit card, every magazine subscription you buy and medical prescription you fill, every website you visit and email you send or receive, every academic grade you receive, every bank deposit you make, every trip you book, and every event you attend, all these transactions and communications will go into what the Defense Department describes as a virtual, centralized, grand database. Um, Mm -hmm. Just to really put that... when When it's... Combined like that in one long list, it just feels so icky. Mm-hmm. Yuck, it yuck, should, yuck. It should feel icky. The crazy thing is this isn't the only one, right? No. This isn't the only fish of its fin in the sea. Uh, and there's also, uh, from what I understand, it's not only increasingly easy to create something like this, but it's increasingly difficult for the average Jane or John citizen to fight against it to opt out you know and and not to not to dump too hard on the US if you don't think that other countries are doing this if you don't think your country is doing this you are being willfully naive i was just uh i was just listening to uh some of the recent news and research about uh, sesame credit particularly inspired by the rumors about the disappearance of the Chinese billionaire, Ma. Mm-hmm. Uh, I say rumors about his disappearance. Uh, and then I learned some really disturbing things, not just about Sesame Credit, but about how so much control over user-generated internet forums like Reddit, so much of that stuff is coming from a single U.S. Air Force base. No, really? A lot of it. 
a lot of it was, uh, and I can send you guys the links, but I, I think we have this illusion of safety or privacy. And privacy as we understand it, we said it before, didn't really exist for a long, long time. You know, like in uh, in days of yore, way before the internet, way before radio, way before television, uh, they, they still didn't have what you might consider privacy today. People were living with their entire families in a single room on the farm, and you could hear what your parents were up to at night. That's not very private. Uh, so I think we're fooling ourselves when we have this idealized version of privacy. But well, I think we're also fooling ourselves if we say it's worth it to catch a potential terrorist. It's about control, I think. Well, it is about it is about control. I, I would just say, you know, the feeling of privacy was just a little a little different, I would say. Um, and maybe it is all wool that we pulled over our own eyes in in belief that such a thing exists. But it certainly felt different in the 50s, 60s prior to that. When, you know, the the communication that you're having with someone that is far away with communication is probably one of the most vital things. Uh, transactions are occurring if you're making them at a local bank, right? Or through a check that you've sent through the mail system. I'm just trying to think of other things. Electronic communication is happening over a phone. That's really it. Well, I mean, Matt, do you think the expectation of privacy is just a thing of the past? Like, I mean, everybody knows that if you're banking or if you're like, you know, certain records are publicly available or whatever, and there's no expectation of privacy in that, um, you know, to keep people honest, I guess. But, you know, with things like phone calls or the mail or whatever, like there's been this sort of kind of waning sense of like, oh, I, I have the right to privacy. But do you think there's going to be a new generation where that's just not on people's minds anymore and people just understand that if they're communicating that it's 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 pretty much fair game that someone's listening? Yeah, I, 100%. Uh, ben, and I'll, I'll let you continue with this, but I would just point out in the 1970s, you had programs like Echelon that we've talked about before. Um, Promise software came out around that time. I don't know if we've talked about Blarney, but I know we hit a couple of these other uh, programs that were meant to pull in any and all electronic communications. And they've been doing that for a long time. Mm -hmm. um, so now, now that we know about Stellar Wind, we know about Prism, we know about all these newer programs. Uh, yeah, I think privacy at least to the upper echelons of the intelligence agencies within the United States, if you're a citizen here, um, as well if you're a citizen anywhere else on the planet, um, I, I think our expectation of privacy to them is gone. And also, oh, sure. and also to telecom agencies, or uh, companies, conglomerates, mm -hmm. whatever. Um, <laughs> E-Corp e and F-Corp and whichever other corp, they've got it all. Because we do it all through their services, and we, we pay them for it. <laughs> yeah. And every cup, like if that's a service, every cup we buy has these holes in it. You know what I mean? Like It's a leaky cup. It's yeah. just, there's no ex expectation that your cup will hold your liquid anymore. It's a sieve. And, uh, you know, we didn't we didn't start today's episode planning to do prop comedy. That was just a Bob Ross happy accident. But yeah. you're right. I would advance, though, that there, there are uh, a couple of other dangers here. Two that the ACLU clearly outlines, right? And uh, the first, it's much easier for 
uh, a government agency of any government to do this kind of thing now because you don't have to build the infrastructure. You just have to buddy up with a telecom that already has it and say, send me your stuff. Mm -hmm. And you can make a law that says they have to do so. And it's going to be hidden somewhere. It's going to be very difficult for other citizens to care about it, right? Because who has the time? I got to get back to Clubhouse and TikTok. <laughs> uh, I would love a Clubhouse invite. If someone wants to send us a Clubhouse Is invite. Is that a beta situation? I just heard about this today. It's like an audio-based social media kind of, right? Yeah, yeah. A lot of a lot of listeners have reached out um, to me and maybe to you guys as well saying, hey, why, uh, are you on Clubhouse? Are you guys going to do something on Clubhouse? Uh, to which the response is, I guess just send us an invite. Uh, it's still kind of, you know, the way that Facebook originally was invite only and one had to go to a specific series of schools. I'm really glad that you brought Facebook up. Um, <laughs> oh, good. Yes. <laughs> because yes, because I've, I've got another danger for oh, okay, you, too, yeah, and you it's very much related to it. You go ahead. Okay. Maybe this, maybe this sets you up even better. So uh, people who are in the realm of technology and ethics and the dangers of social media are doubtlessly familiar with the kind of one of the fathers of virtual reality, Jaron Lanier. Uh, he, I think he may have appeared on Social Dilemma. I can't remember. But he speaks widely about the dangers of social media. And I, I propose to you guys that these are, these are inextricably linked with total information awareness type programs. Because, look, so far what we've been talking about is the idea that uh, TIA type stuff uh, these things are known as SIG ads, I believe, right? These signal intelligence collection dragnet things, uh, they are they are presented to us as passive monitoring programs, right? Monitoring and analyzing data points and then trying to prevent crime. But what we have to remember is that when social media emerges, there's also a huge amount of research put in brilliant, if evil, research put into changing people's behavior. You are part of a behavioral experiment every time you log on to Twitter, to Instagram, to Facebook, to anything like that. You know what I mean? Because there are different parties that are gathering your habits and they want to please their advertisers, right? So they can gradually push you toward something, and you will not be aware that your behavior is changing unless you are very, um, very I, I don't know, very paranoid about it, constantly questioning why you believe something or where that belief came from. So I think Jaron Lanier is right, and I think it ties into this. I'm setting up a world where it's possible. In this conversation, we're setting up a world where it's possible for someone in charge of a SIGAD to do the same thing the FBI did when they were trying to radicalize members of the Islamic faith. You know, when the FBI tried to manufacture terrorists, that really happened. And with stuff like this, I'm not saying it's happened yet, but with stuff like this, it is feasible that they can do so. There you go. Hmm. Sorry, it's stepping off the soapbox here. But no, it's, it's okay. It's, I want to give some dates and bring it, bring it back to Facebook. So in 2003, 2000, well, really throughout the 2000s and after September 11, 2001, uh, a type of dragnet program like TIA was in development. The thought of it being created was there and it needed to get approved by Congress. You, you know, I told you it went through that Homeland Security Act 
and it was a part of it, but it was struck down in 2003. Uh, Congress officially cut off funding to this program. Uh, I think it was called the Information Awareness Office. Correct me if I'm wrong there. Now, you know what was in development in 2003? Facebook, the Facebook. And in 2004, in February, the Facebook launched. Now, instead of some government dragnet going through and picking up where you go, where you eat, how you know who your friends are, with whom you interact, what you do on a regular basis. At that time, I don't think they were taking your billing information or collecting data about spending early on in Facebook's career, but they were collecting almost all of the information that these dragnets were were pulling from. Um, and we were users began in droves to give willingly their information to this other weird system that didn't need a dragnet. It just needed, it needed a box in which you could place all that stuff and then send out to somebody. And it's really interesting just to see that even though Congress via the representatives of the citizens of this country decided that this was a bad idea to give all of this information away, to pull in all of this information and keep it all track it all. We chose as individuals collectively to give almost all of that away willingly. Mm. And, and we give away our bank information or credit card information to third parties through apps all the time. We do that all the yeah, time. But they wouldn't do anything nefarious with it. I mean, we, uh, it's all encrypted, right? It's, it's all trustworthy. It, in the end, it's weird. It's data points. It doesn't matter if anyone or some company or some app has access to exactly what you spent your money on and where. They, you know, the metadata within that information is sometimes more powerful. Yeah, it paints a picture of a person that then, then can be bought and sold. Mm-hmm. A persona. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. literally called that in marketing. Uh, it can also be used to, um, uh, it can be used in a lot of sticky ways. Like the dystopian version of this, the closest we have to a dystopian version that is real now is what's sometimes called Sesame Credit or SEMA Credit in, uh, in China. And recently, the public has grown very concerned there because we called it. We said it's not always going to be opt-in. Now there's another version that's for corporations. Recently, I think just a few weeks ago, a nine-year-old girl was found liable by court for her dead father's debts, and she was punished under China's social credit system because she couldn't pay those debts because, you know, she's nine. Yeah. So this has has sparked a little bit of public outcry, but the proverbial horse may have already left the barn here. And the problem is that the advantages of a surveillance state for anybody who wants to maintain the status quo, that's ultimately what we're talking about. Preventing terrorism, sure, but also preventing dissident activity, right? And And, and no free think. Right. None of that. Uh, And then also you can imagine this. Imagine the insider trading capabilities you have with this. You're uh, you're one of the uh, government heads of this program. How far away are we from a world where you can say, I have a lot of stock in uh, L.A. lights. Those are the shoes that light up. Right. When you walk. I have a lot of stock in L.A. lights. Let's just let's bring those back. Let's bring back L.A. lights. And then you just fiddle some gears. You got some science noise going on in the background. And the lights start pouring in and the ads start selling. And then you are an L.A. light 
uh, Lumineer. That's too much. You're an LA Lights tycoon. It's possible. Or, you know, you have a lot of stock in Microsoft, Yahoo, Google, Facebook, mm -hmm. YouTube, AOL, Skype, Apple. And you're just, you know, because those companies are working directly or were working directly with the PRISM program that was just siphoning information off to the NSA. So yeehaw. <laughs> I'm pretty sure you could trade your butt off if you had all that info. Yuck. Hey, guys. Um. There's more to talk about here, but I think we should move on. Is that all right? I think it's the only uh, sane solution for the moment, yes. It's the new year. It's the new year. The government's still taking all your stuff. Let's keep right. it up. <laughs> Wait, you mean, you, mean, you mean flipping over to 2021 didn't just like solve all our problems? That's a bummer. Yeah. It's all good. It's all good. But hey, thank you so much, anonymous person who told us that cool story and made this discussion happen. We hope you enjoyed that. And uh, we will see you all after this quick word from our sponsor. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long for just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer? Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Attention, true crime enthusiast. Searching for a way to unwind after diving deep into the mysteries that keep you up at night? Look no further. Introducing Lazarus Naturals, your trusted companion for CBD relief. With a commitment to transparency, Lazarus Naturals oversees every step from farm to doorstep, ensuring purity and quality you can trust. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today and discover how CBD can help you decompress and recharge for your next investigation. That's LazarusNaturals.com. Lazarus Naturals, your partner in unraveling the mysteries of true crime. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. From BBC Radio 4. Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare.
All right, and we're back um, with a slightly more upbeat story. A little bit less of a, you know, dystopian 1984 on steroids kind of situation that Matt's story uh, painted a pretty, uh, very vivid picture of. It's important stuff to know, but good Lord. Sometimes I just feel like we're like fighting against the current. You know what I mean? Like, oh, my goodness gracious. Uh, But here's the thing. All of these dystopian uh, ideations that I think we're all subject to now, uh, they can bring about some pretty serious uh, mental struggles. I think we've all experienced it during COVID and during being isolated. And, you know, things like anxiety and depression are on the rise. And certainly these are things that one can be predisposed to. um, But it's also something that your environment can just kind of bring bring on or just your circumstances. And I think we've all been been struggling in our own ways with the circumstances that 2020 uh, dumped uh, on us. Um, but there's good news, my friends. There's good news uh, because there are some um, substances that have in the past been highly regulated and outlawed and maligned that are kind of seeing a new, a new day, um, a, a new future where they could potentially be used legally to help us with some of these things that I'm talking about. Uh, and to hear about that, we will hear the experience of a listener named Steve who called in to tell us his story. Hey guys, I just wanted to call. I've been calling a lot lately, but um, this is Steve from Denver. And I just wanted to call to talk about psilocybin. It's been a while since I've heard something about it from you guys. Um, I was straight edge my whole life. Uh, Literally never did anything. And then when I was about 40, depression was hitting me so hard. I didn't want to do pharmaceuticals or any of that junk. And so after 15 years of looking into uh, psychedelics and and such, I decided I was going to try mushrooms as a remedy to my depression and anxiety. And uh, it worked. My first trip was pretty incredible. And my wife and I took our first trip together and nothing but positive stuff about it. Uh, Since then, it's every two to three months, I would say that I need some kind of a reset. I don't microdose. I do a lot of psilocybin at once. And I basically go to outer space and fight my demons while riding a rocket made of uh, drugs, I guess. <laughs> anyway, it works for me. I'd be interested in you guys uh, taking a new look at the new outlook on psilocybin and other drugs as to treat addiction and depression and things of that nature. Uh, thanks for the show. Take care. Steve, I was really hoping you were going to say a rocket made of unicorn tears or or something like that. But drugs is also fine. Uh, That's the thing. This idea of drugs, you know, the war on drugs and the idea of drugs being something that is maligned and and, uh, treated with uh, disdain by the powers that be. And and the idea that, like, you know, substances that grow naturally from the earth should be uprooted and regulated and and kept from people. And um, there's a really fantastic fantastic documentary called I think it's literally called Fantastic Fungi that just came out that um, I've only seen a little bit of and I can't wait to watch the whole thing but it goes into a lot of the new uh, uses for psilocybin that, that Steve was talking about and that we've talked about on the show in the past and that we actually have an up- upcoming episode we're going to go into it a little deeper but um, I think we can stick for the purposes of this um, conversation maybe to just the way the tide is turned in the way that Steve is talking about. And you can measure that uh, in a couple of ways, but one of them is with money, IPOs, 
by pharmaceutical companies and pharmaceutical companies getting invested in magic mushrooms uh, to treat things like depression um, or even neuropathic pain. Uh, and this all comes from uh, a recent study by Johns Hopkins University that uh, looked at the effects of psilocybin-assisted therapy on major depressive disorder. Uh, and it found in a randomized clinical trial of 24 participants with major depressive disorder that those who received immediate psilocybin treatment compared with delayed treatment showed improvement in um, what they referred to as blinded clinician rater assessed depression severity. Uh, and also in self-reported secondary outcomes. So that's sort of a fancy way of saying they got better quicker, uh, those that, that took the psilocybin. Um, and when you get these studies like this, uh, not immediately, but I just, like I said, the, the tide seems to be turning with things like marijuana uh, legalization and now psilocybin legalization that was just made completely legal in uh, Oregon. And if I'm not mistaken, Portland, Oregon, just like legalized like all drugs. Did I make that up? It's no. something. Yeah, that's a thing. Um, so with psilocybin in particular, it's like obviously recreational use is fun and that people enjoy doing that to, you know, trip on mushrooms and listen to music, go to a concert. But it turns out that all of the, the things you've read, people like Terrence McKenna and all of these psychonauts, you know, from throughout you know modern history, uh, it does make some interesting neurological connections that can help people deal with things like depression or end of life or the more clinical kind of uh, use of treating pain. And there actually is a brand new uh, upcoming initial public stock offering from a company in Canada uh, called Trip Pharmaceuticals. And uh, James Kuo, who is the CEO of the California-based Trip Therapeutics, rather is the name of the company, he is expecting to go public on the Canadian Securities Exchange. Uh, and that happened, this article was from Let's see. This article was from the 17th of December, so that will have happened by now. And he believes that his company will they're, – they're not interested in, in recreational. They're jumping off of studies like this John Hop, Johns Hopkins study, and they're interested in being kind of the you know standard bearer of using psilocybin to treat these conditions that we're talking about. So it, it feels like the tide is turning. And I think we've probably all heard the term microdose thrown around so much lately. Um, it's something that people very casually do and it doesn't make you like messed up. It just kind of, you know, grounds people a little bit. And it's something that's very, very popular, almost to the point of being becoming, becoming a bit cliche. But I just think the future of psilocybin, um, you know, therapy is absolutely fascinating. Yeah. It's, it's, a smart move, right? It certainly functioned really well for the burgeoning cannabis industry and uh, in, in normalizing cannabis use across the United States, like putting it as a medicinal use first and then transitioning eventually into more, you know, open use of the substance. I'm looking at this website for Theracil, another, another company then there are many of these other companies that are attempting to find ways to introduce psilocybin into some kind of medical treatment. And, and it, it is, as you said, usually aimed at anxiety, depression, the state in which many of us find ourselves uh, in a pretty constant basis. Um, I think it's nice to imagine it being more ubiquitous in that realm, 
rather mm-hmm. than rather than some kind of medication that's in a, a pill form that you know some company is going to make just billions of dollars a year off of until they get sued to oblivion because they started some right. kind of <laughs> epidemic. Well, yeah, we see also, you know, similar things happening with marijuana, decriminalization and legalization and started with a medicinal urge. I want to step back here um, just to address several things. Uh, Steve, first off, thank you so much for sending in this awesome voicemail. And you're right. uh, We have heard you. Uh, we have heard from you, and I am. Um, I can't remember if you've told us about this in a past call, but I fell into a rabbit hole figuring out your accent, Steve. Uh, and I think it's super cool. So I would love to. I would love to hear about your journey there. I would also posit that I would ask. Rather, I would ask: Is this the forefront of new medicine, or is this the resurgence of ancient medicine? We did some previous work on the possible relationship uh, between early religious experiences and hallucinogens. And there are a lot of great writers out there, fringe, but great writers who will argue that hallucinogens have played an integral role in our cognitive development or our social development, maybe, uh, is a better way to put it, over time. Uh, I think it was Bill Hicks has this great piece on the use of hallucinogens. We do want to say, I think this speaks to your point you just made, Matt. We do want to say that psilocybin, magic mushrooms, they're not the same thing as LSD. They're not the same thing as some other hallucinogens. Like uh, like ayahuasca is going to give you a different experience in comparison to something like DMT or something like psilocybin. So a lot of these laws being relaxed are specifically, I believe this is correct, Noel, they're specifically for psilocybin, right? They're not all hallucinogens. That's correct. Now, it's very yeah. specifically for psilocybin. And taking it even a step further, there are companies working on developing synthetic psilocybin, which is a whole new class of, of drug uh, for treatment of these same things, especially these neuropsychiatric uh, disorders. Mm-hmm. And, and it's weird because public opinion is a little bit divided. Well, Public opinion is very divided here in the United States because everyone alive in the U.S. has in some way been affected by what's called the war on drugs. If not directly, your mind has been affected because how many people just heard us say the phrase war on drugs and had a PSA played in their heads? What did you guys get? What, egg. what The egg? I get the egg too. Uh, Matt, what you got? Um, it wasn't the egg. Because it wasn't a video or anything or a PSA. It was just people in my face as a child telling me how bad drugs are. That's all uh, I remember. It's just n- faceless, dear. nameless people that are just like, drugs are bad. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, the okay, crime okay, dog. okay, okay. <laughs> I think we've talked about this before. Yeah, I, yeah. I know we've talked about this before, but yeah. I, I had someone come to my school with a giant suitcase right. full of every drug. And I think we, mm-hmm. Ben and I, we've, we've mentioned that it just kind of was like, ooh, I want to try that one and try that one and try that one. But it was just kind of a funny little technique that they use. I don't think it quite went the way they were hoping. I don't think so either, but I did love, I always love a good presentation. It had a science yes. fair vibe because it's one of those like trifold cases, uh-huh. right? Yeah. Yeah. And prop I, comedy, I know you're a fan of. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Regular uh, Carrot Top, our local D.A.R.E. program was. I'm kidding. No, they, uh, they, their hearts were in the right place. They were doing the best they could. But just like an abstinence program, 
statistically, we see the results don't bear out. We also should shout out the fantastic work that Robert Lamb and Joe McCormick have done on hallucinogens and psilocybin specifically over at Stuff to Blow Your Mind. Uh, I would recommend checking them out if you haven't already yet, Steve. Um, And I think we could could dive into this further because psilocybin has also been used in experiments with uh, ESP, I think. Uh, It's been used in experiments to help people – Break bad habits such mm-hmm. as smoking tobacco, or I believe it's also has it been used? Am I thinking of psilocybin when I say it's been used in alcoholism treatment? Just addiction, period. It's, it's okay. a great way of like breaking habits, breaking patterns, uh, and those patterns might be physical, and a lot of them are mental, uh, and and that's sort of what depression is. It's negative mental patterns and cyclical thinking, and a lot of mm-hmm. it, you know, is just getting caught up in your own story and not being able to like see the big picture. And, and hallucinogens are often credited in letting giving people kind of like this uh, spiritual step back to kind of like zoom out and see the whole picture and and be able to kind of see where they fit into it instead of like being so myopic, you know, and everything they do, because it's really easy yeah. to get get pigeonholed and like in a rut that way. Um, but one last thing uh, on, on my end, um, they are seeking FDA approval and it's going quite well, uh, as, as it turns out. Trip therapeutics in the past through several rounds of venture capitalist, you know, just fundraising, I guess, raised 1.5 million Canadian dollars through two rounds over the past uh, eight, eight or nine months. And they are looking at this upcoming IPO to help fund the development of an oral formulation of psilocybin uh, that would be used to treat soft tissue sarcoma. Uh, and they've already started the process of seeking FDA approval. Uh, Wait, and they, to treat to treat cancer? To treat, I would imagine, the pain that goes along with cancer. And they're confident that they will be able to get FDA approval eventually after this IPO. Kuo, who is, the, I believe, the CEO of Trip Therapeutics, um, said they can enter directly into a second phase of clinical studies um, before getting official FDA approval uh, because we've already seen efficacy in, in these in these drugs. Um, and he says, since these drugs have been proved to be safe to use during the first phase of the trial. Uh, and here's a quote. Um, there are two things you need to show for any drug to be approved, safety and efficacy. We can answer that it's safe, but still need more data to prove its uh, efficaciousness. Um, and studies like that Johns Hopkins study is, is, is a step in the right direction towards doing that. And I think that's specifically addressing uh, the treatment of existential distress for the Correct. cancer patients, that's right. the fear of uh, of death. That's exactly course, right. Haunts us all. Uh, there, there are some objections. There are a couple of objectors, a couple of people. I wouldn't say they're going full 1980s war on drugs opposition to this, but they are saying we should slow down because we don't know enough about it. That's one of the big arguments, right? Uh, Michael Pollan, you might recognize him from The Omnivore's Dilemma. He he acknowledges that psilocybin is, first off, it is weirdly safe. In terms of a medicine, it is weirdly safe. There is no known lethal dose yet. Nobody that we know of in history has ever take, ingested so much psilocybin that they die from that. But of course, Steve... To your comment about the rocket of drugs, uh, on a high enough dose, people will have badly impaired judgment and may do things 
that are incredibly dangerous. And when we um, when we talk about the researchers, John Hopkins, London, other places who are gathering volunteers for these very important, these crucial clinical trials, we have to realize they're screened very, very carefully because we're talking about mental conditions in many ways, you know. And when we talk about mental conditions, we're going into a realm that we, even the experts in our species, do not fully understand. And how does that compound with other drug interactions? If someone is, say, for instance, on a treatment plan for psilocybin while they're also on a treatment plan for an antidepressant of some sort, right? Uh, what's Is Wellbutrin an antidepressant? Yeah, but it also works really well for smoking cessation, which is interesting. Okay. Okay, mm-hmm. yeah, so, so we don't know all the effects. So just to give a voice to the people who are saying, not so fast. Uh, the weird thing that I see is I don't see anybody saying, no, stop, don't do it ever. Totally. I just say people saying we need to do some more homework. Well, I also, it's funny to say not so fast for a substance that's literally been around since the Stone Age, you know? Right. I mean, people have been taking psychedelics as long as they've been growing out of the ground. So it's like, I think the proof is in the pudding, you know? And you're right. I think they were like, things like Go Ask Alice, that very, very not real, but seeming autobiography of a young woman taking drugs, who have, spoiler alert for a propaganda, piece of propaganda that they make you read in high school. Uh, it, so I think she ends up throwing herself off a building at the end on a bad trip or something like that. But I mean, it's it's like reefer madness, kind of, you know, a lot of it really is just trumped up kind of worst case scenario uh, fear mongering that, uh, you know, and, and look, 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 what we're talking about here. We're talking about a substance that can treat pain in the way that things like Oxycontin treat pain, you know, and Oxycontin is heavily addictive. And so many things that big pharma pushes are heavily addictive, which I think is the large drive behind why these things have been illegal for so long. So interested to see where this goes. I, th- I think it's high time. Ha <laughs> ha. That was mm. not on purpose. Uh, but let's take another quick break and then we'll be back with another uh, message from you. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert to buy now. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. 
Attention, true crime enthusiast, searching for a way to unwind after diving deep into the mysteries that keep you up at night? Look no further. Introducing Lazarus Naturals, your trusted companion for CBD relief. With a commitment to transparency, Lazarus Naturals oversees every step from farm to doorstep, ensuring purity and quality you can trust. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today and discover how CBD can help you decompress and recharge for your next investigation. That's LazarusNaturals.com. Lazarus Naturals, your partner in unraveling the mysteries of true crime. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. From BBC Radio 4. Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. And we have returned, folks, fellow conspiracy realists. As I said at the top of the show, one of these segments may not be appropriate for all listeners in the audience. The following will contain graphic and completely true accounts of some very disturbing things. So, with uh, in the interest of time, without too much prologue, uh, let's let's roll the final piece of listener mail today, a call that we received from an anonymous source with a very good question. Hey guys, long time listener of the show. Quick question. Have you all ever done an episode of the UN sex scandal? I think it's, uh, I was looking at it earlier and found something on Reddit, but I wasn't able to get in to read more articles due to the paywalls and et cetera, et cetera. But it seems like a charity work scandal where it says over 60,000 women and children have been raped over the past decade. If you all have, uh, please let me know and I will be really interested in listening to it or, um, you know, discuss it on the show. Thanks. Thank you so much for calling, for reaching out to us with this incredibly important point, Anonymous. Uh, first, I've been aware of this. I believe that we I believe that we all are somewhat aware of this. We have not done a show on this. It is a very real thing. It's a very real series of conspiracies, not conspiracy theories. So it dates back to I think it first hits the news around 2017. Uh, there's an investigation by the Associated Press uh, that goes public and shows that more than 100 UN peacekeepers were running a sexual abuse ring, specifically in Haiti, for Whoa. over a decade, and they were never jailed. That's that's the headline. Uh, there had been more than more than a thousand allegations of similar abuse and exploitation by UN peacekeepers uh, and other personnel across the planet over the 12 years before that. The U.S. ambassador to the UN at the time, someone named Nikki Haley, urged all these countries to try and hold U.S. peacekeepers accountable for this kind of abuse. And when we say abuse, we're talking about things like forced sex work, out-and-out kidnapping and sexual assaults, 
uh, rapid increases in these terrible events in countries like not just Haiti, but Cambodia, Mozambique, Kosovo, Bosnia, after the UN and NATO peacekeeping forces moved in. There is a clear correlation. And of course, we're not saying that, I hope everybody knows that when we talk about these things, we're not saying the entire entirety of the UN peacekeeping forces, but we're, it definitely happened. Uh, and like so many things, it got reported, and then it, it sort of fell from the public eye. Do you guys remember hearing about this a few years back? I, I never did, which is really surprising because, I mean, I'm familiar with Oxfam largely because uh, Radiohead uh, were always a huge supporter of Oxfam. And like Tom York, like auctioned off some handwritten lyrics um, to, you know, the proceeds going towards towards Oxfam. And they're like a hugely uh, respected and influential charity in the UK. And, and that's really uh, mostly what I've what I've known about them. I'm, I've not, I can't believe I haven't heard any of this. Yeah, I didn't realize um Minors, like children, 12 and 13-year-old kids were involved. That's, I mean, the whole thing is already disturbing. Just the fact that sexual abuse of any kind was taking place and it seemed to be institutionalized by at least one, I think they called it one boss, right? At least in the Mm -hmm. reporting. Um, But then there were numerous other staff members. Oh, God, yeah, I'm... Right. mm. Now, you can can find reporting about this. Uh, The Guardian has an excellent timeline uh, there, there are a number of other deep dive works of journalism on this analysis. Uh, in addition to this widespread systemized abuse, there was also, as as you alluded to, Matt, there was also definitely a cover up. I believe you are referring to the country director in Haiti, uh, Roland Van Howerman. Uh, he was. He was in charge of Oxfam activities in Haiti at the time. Uh, He was instrumental in this cover-up. It seems to be the case. Uh, We would have to dive in and and do more research to make a full episode to really get a sense of him. Uh, But a lot of this happened following the 2010 earthquake, which wreaked enormous chaos upon the country of Haiti, which already had infrastructure problems, resource extraction problems, and so on and so on. Now, one thing that stands out to our astute listeners here is we've talked about UN peacekeeping forces, and we've talked about Oxfam. Oxfam is the charitable organization you're talking about, Anonymous, and it is a nonprofit leviathan. It's a nonprofit octopus. Uh, It's made of 20 different independent charitable organizations that all sort of team up in an Avengers Justice League way in 1942 to alleviate global poverty. Uh, They have offices around the world. They have done a ton of, they have done a ton of really solid, inarguably important and beneficial work. Uh, They have also, they they have also clearly covered up these sexual abuse scandals, uh, not just in Haiti, but in Chad, in other countries. And what's strange here, and what, what should disturb people, is the lack of accountability. Because think about this. If you are a predator, the way that some of these people definitely were, then you are naturally going to look for people who are already having a terrible, terrible time. You know what I mean? Like, I would say also 
just to further draw a bright line around this, Oxfam was doing this. UN peacekeepers were doing this too. So Oxfam does work with the UN, uh, but the the people who are peacekeepers, who are the on the ground soldiers and forces, those folks were doing this too. This is very dirty, very quickly, and it's it's terrible because UN staff, like that number you made up, anonymous sixty thousand events over the course of a decade. That number is very real. That comes from an estimate from a former senior official of the United Nations, one Andrew McLeod. And it's just strange to me that we don't hear too much about this now. We know that in 19, as far back as 1996, the UN did a study about this, which you can read online, called The Impact of Armed Conflict on Children. And then they said the UN, NATO, Oxfam, you know, they had their own investigations. Um, and there's a bit of a bad apple argument here which is that we can't throw out all the good work that these organizations are doing because of the actions of a few bad actors. But the question of, like, how many is a few? You know what I mean? Where is, where is the accountability? And where is the justice for these people who are suffering? Yeah. Um, I was looking at this in... That Guardian article, Ben, the one Oxfam's disgraced Haiti official left earlier post over sex parties. Uh, This is a separate article that's linked off the one we were looking Mm -hmm. at. Uh, Apparently that guy, what's his name? Van Hammer, not Van Hammerstein, Van Hauer Mirren. He apparently had to leave another charity organization uh, because of allegations that he was apparently having sex parties. That's this is a quotation from the right. sex parties with local women while operating uh, in, I think, Liberia. Following the timeline, it seems like Oxfam at large investigated this with about the same like fervor as the Catholic Church investigated child sex allegations for a time. You know, it felt like a real sweeping under the rug kind of situation. You know, all this happened back in 2011. Or the investigation, rather. And it was just kind of, well, what are we going to do? Kind of, Mm -hmm. yeah. Eventually was forced to resign. But that's not the same thing as going to jail, is it? We should also say, you know, the UN regularly partners with Oxfam to do what they call implementation of programs and operations. But you're right, Noel. For something to have been going on this long, Uh, there's no easy answer and it does seem like there's collusion within the organization or at the very least, either a huge lack of oversight to a level of incompetence that is difficult to believe or a tacit agreement to look the other way. Ben, this is the kind of stuff that it's no wonder that something like Pizzagate gains so much traction because there are Mm. real stories like this that come out all the time. Where, like, mm-hmm. we're talking about, we told you guys already, 12, 13-year-olds were, were caught up in the stuff going on in Haiti. We're, I'm looking now at the stuff in 2004, 2008, in other countries where there were young, there were young people, not necessarily children, but mm-hmm. very young people being caught up with these same individuals who are all working for charity to literally save the children yeah. um, and, and doing this. Um, mm-hmm. You know... If the people who are supposed to be doing some of the most noble and best things that you can possibly do, this kind of charity work, this kind of giving to somebody else 
who doesn't have as much as you that, you know, you imagine that's some of the best people in the world, but good God for someone who's able to do that. And this other thing simultaneously, it's just, it, it boggles the mind to the point where it makes you question Every humanity. I mean, that yeah. level of uh, of um, uh, taking advantage, you know, when you're in a position where you're supposed to be the helping hand that takes someone who's in a in a bad place and you're supposed to be that arm that extends out. And instead, you reach out and slap them. It's disheartening is what it is. But I don't I try not to let it like wreck my whole view of humanity because I know good people. There are good people and there are people that are doing good work. And this isn't representative of, of all of them. But. God, when you hear stories like this, it, it, it makes you take a pause. So one thing I have found that may be um, somewhat mitigating news for you, Anonymous, and for all of us listening along at home, is uh, I, I looked into the history of that figure, right? The 60,000 over a decade. It's definitely, it's a large number of people over a long amount of time. But when we look into some of the specifics, it gets a little bit, Dodgy. So McLeod, the man we had said, the former senior official who came up with that figure, he originally uh, he originally came up with it in an interview in The Sun. And when the BBC asked him to walk through the calculus of that, he here's what he did. And he explained it to him. He's pretty transparent. He said, OK, in 2016, the UN internal reports say that there were about 311 cases of sexual abuse by peacekeepers during that year. And then he saw additional UN research that said these numbers are probably higher. This is this just the stuff that made it through the reporting process. And so he decided he would double that annual figure, 622, right? And then he decided he would multiply that by 10 because generally only about 10% of these sorts of cases are reported in general. And that's what brought him to 6,000. And then he multiplied that by 10 again to cover a 10-year period. Other people in, in the international development and aid community, have a, they have a tough time with this methodology. You know what I mean? Because one of the things we have to be very careful about whenever we're reporting on crimes like this is not to be too sensationalistic. That's that's how you get to your point, Matt. That's how you find yourself at these sort of Pizzagate situations. The stuff with the Catholic Church, definitely real. The Detroit affair, definitely real. And the Belgian government was in on it. Not for nothing did 300,000 people march in that country. Uh, and this stuff, this Oxfam UN stuff, it is real. It did happen. But we owe it to the survivors of these horrendous events to be accurate. You know what I mean? It doesn't, it doesn't help to uh, turn it into some sort of sensationalistic uh, yellow journalism line unless we, we have the proof. And we need the proof as a species because we have to arm ourselves with information to prevent things like this from happening again. We cannot emphasize this enough. Before these people have been victimized, they are living in some of the most challenging situations on the planet. And many times they've been born into these situations. It's stunning to me. Because to your point, Noel, the entire, the entire mission of these people on paper is to help make the world a slightly better place. How dare you do the opposite? 
Now, well said, Ben. Well, I, sorry. Ah, gosh. You know what? Maybe it's maybe it's uh, all the coffee. Actually, a little we're on the fence. This is one of those that's important for us to cover. It's very much the mission of the show. It's a conspiracy. It's a cover-up. It's real. Um, but also, it's a very terrible thing, you know? We go back and forth sometimes on on episodes like this, or, you know, if we make these full episodes, on what what we can do in in our position on this little podcast of ours. Are we are we helping this situation? You know what I mean? Um, and that's a question that we try to address in each case. But um, all to say, you are correct, anonymous. The story you read about is unfortunately very real. Uh, for Oxfam's part, Oxfam in specific, you can visit OxfamAmerica.org and you will see that they have acknowledged uh, the events in Haiti at least. They have also instituted some significant steps to address the problems that they say, quote, allowed the events in Haiti to happen. So they have a commission reviewing cases of sexual misconduct, abuse of power. They are putting more resources into keeping people safe. Uh, and they're working with other people and the other peers and groups in the development sector to try to tackle this kind of abuse overall. Uh, you can also read a full copy of their final internal report on the events uh, and the sexual misconduct and, and other behavior uh, during this time in Haiti. So I would say also just a brief word of thanks and encouragement to the people who are compiling those reports, to the people who are doing this, uh, who have done this look into their own organization. Think about every think about every show about an institution, whether it's a very large religious one like the Catholic Church or whether it's an institution like law enforcement. The people who are internal affairs who have to go in and ask questions of their own people, they're always kind of the bad guys, right? Like that's how they're depicted in what, The Wire and, and countless other cop shows. Uh, so these folks are doing the real-life version of that. I'm yeah. grateful that these kind of things are around, but we have to do better. Agreed. And with that, we know we're running long, wanted to give space. We didn't want to be this last story to be something thrown away at the end, but we did want to save it for that disclaimer. We would like to hear your experience if you have worked in international development if you have worked with NGOs or if you have worked with Oxfam, what is the culture like? What was your experience? How much of this story, we're just taking a brief look at it now, how much of it has been sensationalized by the media? Are we not hearing the whole story still? If so, let us know. Uh, thank you also to Steve. Uh, let us know about your experience with psilocybin and other hallucinogens insofar as you are comfortable uh, and we would we would love to hear it, especially if it helped you address uh, depression, if it helped you address uh, addiction of some sort. Uh, we would just love to love to hear your personal experience. And also, hey, if you're working for uh, uh, if you're working for what is it, musculature? Um, muscular. Muscular. Yeah. yeah. If you're working for muscular, or you're a former employee of uh, of one of one of the Five Eyes programs then I don't know. Do you need to let us know? Like, do we even need to tell you where to find us? You already know. <laughs> yeah, just, you know, show yourself on one of our screens Matrix style one night. And uh, yeah, we'll, we'll hang. Um, good golly. 
Hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna do the phone number, okay? Mm-hmm. Sorry, this this thing has me in a, a dark pit. Let's, no let's let's keep going. Um, if you want to get in touch with us, like like your fellow listeners did today, please call our number. It is one eight three three S T D W Y T K. You've got three minutes to leave a message. You can leave as many as you want. Uh, it you know it's helpful for us from a time perspective if you leave one concise, really uh, powerful message. Uh, that we we would appreciate that if you could do that. If you don't want to call us, you can always find us on social media, and one of the best places there is on Facebook. Believe it or not, after we just talked about giving all your your info up to them. Uh, Check out Here's Where It Gets Crazy, our community page. It is fantastic, amazing mods, great community. We love hanging out and talking there. And you can talk with your, your fellow listeners about this and any other topic we've discussed on the show. If you don't want to do that and you're a little bit more, find yourself in sort of more of an old school zone, you can get in touch with us on the internet via a more old fashioned way. That is via email where we are. Conspiracy at iHeartRadio.com. Stuff They Don't Want You to Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long for just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert to buy now. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Attention, true crime enthusiast. Searching for a way to unwind after diving deep into the mysteries that keep you up at night? Look no further. Introducing Lazarus Naturals, your trusted companion for CBD relief. With a commitment to transparency, Lazarus Naturals oversees every step from farm to doorstep, ensuring purity and quality you can trust. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today and discover how CBD can help you decompress and recharge for your next investigation. That's LazarusNaturals.com. Lazarus Naturals. Your partner in unraveling the mysteries of true crime. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. Dealing with pests can be a pain, but relax. Terminix can help. Because when pests show up, so does Terminix. With over 95 years of experience, they have what it takes to take on any pest problem fast. If your home or business has pests, don't stress it. Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com.